Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how are y'all hot and sweaty, man? Well, since you you gave it away. (laughs) So that's what I was going to say, hot and sweaty. So it's getting to be that time of year, and things are getting warm here. And then my AC unit has decided to stop working correctly, so... When I woke up this morning, it was actually hotter in my house than it was outside. And that's how I started my day. So that sounds great. Yeah, no, it wasn't at all in any way, shape or form. As a matter of fact, while we're recording this, I am sitting here in Duluth bullpen boxer briefs. And that's a sponsor, (laughs) not a sponsor, but should be. By the way, Father's Day is coming up. And ladies, if you're listening, I guarantee you the significant other in your life would love a pair of Duluth Trading Company boxer bullpens. So feel free to get them that. But anyways, uh, back to me because I'm the important one here. Yes, of course. Yes. Hot and sweaty, as you uh, pointed out. I am under a ceiling fan and yeah, trying to drink as many fluids as possible to keep myself cool. But that's about it. How are things down where you're at? Um, not too bad. We're, you know, just doing our normal stuff and seeing patients. And uh, I'm actually excited this weekend. I get to be a, a judge for a barbecue contest. And I've never had that opportunity before. And so I'm really excited to, I'm like, wait a minute. So you want me to just sit here and eat a bunch of free barbecue and then tell you which one's best? Best job ever. So yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad job at all. No, no. I was like, really? You want me to be a judge? Yes. Yes. I want to do that. Yes. Yeah. So people are going to make their best food. And these are all from people I trust and know and have eaten their food and thought it was good. And you're going to put them all together and then I'm going to eat it at once. Yeah. Nothing is ringing any bells. Like I'm like, this is a great thing to happen. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be great. That'll be the way I end my start my Saturday, but we may end it a different way, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But no, uh, other than that, things are going swell, I guess. But any interesting patients lately? <laughs> yeah. So I forgot. Yeah, we were going to talk about that. So I, I don't want to give any specifics, but this is more of something I know we've talked about on the air. And I, again, no specifics, but basically had a very disgruntled patient that I had to deal with today. And not that that's unusual or something that most people in healthcare have not had to deal with. What I wanted to impress upon the people that are listening, especially people that are either new to nursing or they're still at bedside. And I say that because a lot of the times it feels like we are supposed to take abuse in healthcare 
and in particular bedside nurses, like there are some unwritten rule, like that's part of the job and it, it isn't, nor should it be. Agreed. And so today with this disgruntled person, I dealt with them. I don't, like I said, not trying to get too far into it. The point I'm trying to get across to people is that there was that part of me that felt like, Hey, this is wrong. Like something is getting out of control here. The situation needs to end. And I ended it and I had the full support of my staff. And I think it's important that everybody should feel like that. When I recognized that there was a problem, I didn't think to myself, well, maybe I should do one more thing or, you know, maybe. And again, it wasn't an instant reaction. It wasn't like I heard one thing and then I just decided, nope, we're done. It was several minutes in a lengthy conversation where things just continued to escalate. And at one point, I just made the decision that things had to stop. And I read over and over in the Facebook groups and, and forums on the internet from nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, physicians about healthcare abuse and how we deal with both verbal and physical assault. And it happened again today to me. And I just want to make sure that if you are one of those people out there that ever have a question or ever wondering, what should I do? Protect yourself, protect yourself and your staff. And if you get that little voice in your head, like going, Hey, this is too far. Hey, something bad is going on here. Listen to it. Okay. There are lots of options. Know what your options are. I'm not saying be unprofessional. I'm not saying just jump the gun. Like I knew what my available options were and I exercised them. And I deeply, deeply hope every person listening to this does the same, especially those in healthcare. Again, I want every person to feel safe. That's why I end every episode with stay safe out there. But I think in particular healthcare, especially post-COVID, after everything they've dealt with over the past year, people are especially fragile now. And I just want to make sure everybody is out there, do what's best for you and make sure you're safe and make sure you take care of yourself and your staff. And honestly, at the end of the day, when you go home, that's the most important thing. And so we had a brief talk about how each of us would have handled a possible situation similar. And I just thought it was important that we talk about on the air, even if it was briefly, that people know, don't sit there and just take it. You don't have to. And if you work somewhere where they expect you to be abused, then find somewhere new to work. And I have dealt with somewhat similar situations, and there are times I have ended visits and said, you know, clearly I'm not going to be a good fit for you. You're not going to be a good fit for me. You know, you're more than welcome to have a great day. And there's the door. So, I mean, I certainly don't fault you in any way for making sure that, uh, like you said, that you're safe, especially, you know, you hear all these crazy stories about, you know, physicians and, and PAs and nurse practitioners, everybody getting like shot in parking lots and, or in nurses. I mean, anybody in the medical field. Yeah, so that's always kind of in the back of your mind and kind of worrisome, but you mean know, like you ultimately said, you gotta protect yourself and that's you gotta be the one going home at that night. And yeah. And that's, I, and that's rule number one is make sure that you get home to your family. It is rule number one. And I like to talk about when I see something in the news, but again, this happened to me today. So I wanted to make sure that people that are listening, you're not alone. This is not new. There is a problem in America, especially 
maybe that's something we could talk to some physicians from other countries if you want to email us about how it is for healthcare workers in other countries. But in America, it's pathetic. It actually, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of better words. It's disgusting. It's reprehensible how people feel entitled to, again, verbally and physically abuse healthcare workers. Yeah. I wish there was better words to describe how sad it has become. And I just refuse to let myself or anybody in my vicinity or I work with feel like a victim. So I also urge every person out there. And again, that does not mean you get to make rash decisions or be unprofessional. It just means know where your lines are and what you can do to enforce them and keep yourself safe and try and enjoy your job. It makes it makes the workday a lot better when you know what you will and won't be putting up with that day. Yeah. Well, let's jump into our story that you may have missed. And I had found some, but I knew that it was going to get Tom riled up. And I'll tell you what that one was off airs. We did not go that route. Oh, um, boy. Is it about fucked up air conditioners? Because I'll tell you right now, I'm all riled up about those right now. No, um, it was about lawmakers passing laws medically that is not possible. Uh, We'll talk more about that off air. Yeah, well, we talked about it in great detail in Ohio when those group of assholes tried to pass some laws on uh, pregnancy. So, well, it's you already got me fired up and we're not even talking about it. It's very similar. And we'll just say uh, Louisiana, not good. But our story that you may have missed, the NFL and the NFLPA will provide funding into research for pain treatment, including medical marijuana. The uh, Pain Management Committee of the NFL and the NFL Players Association will provide a million dollars in funding for research into pain management and, like I said, including uh, medical marijuana. This is seems to be the next step in the shift on the use of marijuana by players some of which of them have maintained that it was safer for them to use marijuana to treat pain than to treat to take uh, prescription medications such as opioids. You know, for years, the NFL suspended players that had tested positive for marijuana multiple times. That did change with the uh, collective bargaining agreement about a year ago. But now the league wants to know more about how safe cannabis and CBD are, if they work, and if they are a potential alternative to opioids. It says that up to five grants are expected to be awarded around Thanksgiving. Tom, your thoughts? All for it. I kind of figured you would be. <laughs> so, and again, uh, I don't even know if we talked about an error. There was a personal friend of the family that used medical marijuana for treatment, and I literally could see the results. And ever since then, before I honestly, I didn't care. I was like, if somebody wants to do marijuana, I could give a shit less. It did not bother me. It was not on my radar. I didn't care if you want to do it in your house and not bother me. Could, Go have fun. Don't care at all. I knew since I've been a police officer, since I've been an ER nurse, I'd much rather deal with somebody that was high on marijuana than drunk any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Like It's it just a much, it seems like a much better person. I, and I don't mean that like as a judgment of a person. I'm just talking about their attitude. They tend to be a lot more docile for lack of a better term for, for someone that was high on marijuana. So that was my experience up until I saw it in the medical point of view. Having had several patients that use medical marijuana and seeing this family friend use medical marijuana. I am a huge, like do it. I would much rather have my patients on for chronic pain, be on medical marijuana than Oxy. It just seems to be a more effective and less harmful drug. 
that's not to say I think it's a miracle. Okay. I, I don't think. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I've seen some, if you go on YouTube for any amount of time, you're going to find some things that just make you go, what? And people that are like, well, if you do a marijuana enema, it'll cure cancer. I'm like, no, it won't. You know, <laughs> like, no, I think there's a time and place for everything. Even if you want to use it recreational, don't care. Do whatever you want. That's not to say I don't think that there's some really good aspects of pain medication, especially in the acute sense. F- you know, five days of tramadol. If you turn your ankle, sure. You know, I could. We we can do some stuff. That's not a big deal. I just think overall, I think we're well past due on not just decriminalizing but legalizing marijuana in at least the medical sense, where there's no repercussions and people are allowed to use it for the intended purposes. And I am glad the NFL is taking this step. I'm personally hopeful that this may, because, you know, a million dollars worth of grants from the NFL, that, I mean, that's big money and that's a big corporation in the United States. That's what I was going to say. It's pushing power. Well, and I'm hoping that if nothing else, this at least opens up more opportunity for study of marijuana THC, CBDs, whatever the case may be, to remove it from Schedule 1 into other potential schedules, or at least allow more research to go into that, as we've talked about on the show before as well. Yeah, we've talked about the show with CBD, which I thought was a great episode. It's still out there if anybody wants to listen to it. And the mere fact that marijuana is on the same list as heroin and methamphetamines and cocaine is just like, what? Have you ever watched Days of the Confused? Did you see anybody committing acts of homicide? <laughs> like on, It just boggles my mind that it's a Schedule 1. Look at Seth Rogen. I mean... <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he's not doing a lot of extremist movements. You know what I'm saying? Like, really? That's what we're worried about is... And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I definitely think that there's a reason why it's still Schedule 1 and not available to the general public. The so. reefer movie back in the sixties, Tom. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. Reefer madness. Yeah. yeah reefer you, madness. It was going to make yeah. you, uh, you know, yeah. If you would see some, some racial propaganda, go ahead, start looking this stuff up. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but some stuff is just what it is. And once you start reading and watching some of this stuff, you're like, what? So again, I don't care if somebody does it, they don't do it. If you don't want to do it and you like ibuprofen, Hey, great. You know, I use ibuprofen causally. It's not a big deal. I just think it's time that we move forwards on the subject. And I think the NFL moving forwards on it is going to push the public opinion, which, by the way, is overwhelmingly supportive of medical marijuana legalization. I really hope that some good comes out of it. I think there is a lot we don't know. So that's also the thing is what are the safety limits? We don't know because we can't test it. So let's figure out what it's good for, what it's not good for, and start using it or not using it. I don't see what the problem is. In total agreement with you, and that's why I chose that article over the other one that I was going to It's talk. also kind of funny to me, though. I just had this whole, like, movie in my head of, like, before certain games, you have, like, you have to randomly pick three players from each team, and they have to smoke marijuana before they go on the field and just see what happens. I don't think they need to just smoke marijuana. Like, they need to get fucking baked. Like, just... <laughs> and the receiver goes on an out route and just kept going. I think he's going to the locker room. (laughs) 
the center was supposed to hike the ball four minutes ago. <laughs> he is still still holding on to the ball. Uh, quarterback still under center. This is one odd game of football. I mean, <laughs> it would be pretty hilarious. To Why see is that. the safety in the stands? Oh, it's because of the popcorn guys over there. Because the popcorn guy, he wants the Coney cheese dog. That's what he's doing. But, well, and again, to step back for even further for a second, I know they did a series on... I can't remember what it was called. We talked about it for professional wrestling, like the dark side of wrestling. Yeah, or dark something side like. of the ring. Yeah. Well, they're doing one of those for football, and they talked to all these professional, you know, athletes that are like, "Yeah, they shot me up full of pain meds just so I could go out and keep playing." And so it is a real problem that the NFL is having to deal with. So I'm not exactly surprised that the NFL is making this move to what's a safe pain alternative instead of pumping these guys full of you know oxycodone and then oh they go out and get CTE. Yeah, maybe we need to find a better system. So, hey, I'll give them credit for that. Are you lacking financial direction or need a second opinion? If so, MyMP Advisor is a virtual financial planning practice that focuses on working with nurse practitioners, and they've developed a unique process that evaluates five key areas of your financial life. They call it the Check My Vitals procedure, and for $500, it addresses some of your biggest financial concerns, like, am I saving enough to maintain my lifestyle in retirement? Is my family protected from a catastrophe? Do my investments match my tolerance for risk? Listen, if you have more questions than answers, then you're probably due for a checkup. So click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the five benefits of checking your vitals. And if you're ready to move forward, you can even schedule your appointment directly from that link. Yeah, the link is down in the show notes. It's a great place to start. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRC SPIC. Additional advisory services offered through Premier Financial Partners LLC. Neither Royal Alliance, MyMP Advisor, Primary Financial Partner, Justin Podcast, or any other guest or affiliate. Well, Tom, are you ready to jump into our main topic tonight? Well, let me think about it for a second. Yes. Here's what I'm going to say to you, sir. Oh, 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 to touch and feel vagina. God, vaginas are hot. What do you think? That's a mnemonic, by the way. It, I was like, well, <laughs> since I know what we're talking about tonight, it makes sense. Had I not known what we were talking about tonight, I would be sitting here completely puzzled. So that's a good mnemonic. That's not one I've ever heard before, but yeah, that, it does that, work. that is a mnemonic for our main topic tonight, which is going to be cranial nerves. Everybody's favorite nerves to, you know, get quizzed about and nursing school nurse practitioner school i'm sure pas and medical schools i mean you can't get away from cranial nerves you can't get away from them and that's probably a good thing because they're in your head and they're kind of important (laughs) just in case people don't tune in to the rest of our damn show because i don't know why they wouldn't want to listen to us but you know whatever tom I've, i've convinced you to go live with me this weekend i believe it'll be probably saturday night It'll be, I'd say, between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. Central, so that's 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to explore our cranial nerves. Is that a is that a fair term? Yeah. I would say I don't know that that episode's going to last an hour, depending on Oh, no, I don't how, think it will. Uh, this, is the, this is the meat and potatoes of it. That's just going to be the... The fun. We're going we're gonna to inflict some pain. Yeah. Yeah, this is the lecture, and that's the application. Yeah, there you go. I like that. So. so so, just to let everybody know, and I will let Ben go through the mnemonic since he just went ahead and said it, but we, grou- <laughs> we grouped we grouped, our cranial nerves a little different. So let's go 
Ben, give them the old school. Give them the mnemonic. Let's go through this. The the mnemonic I just gave a minute ago? Yeah. O, 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 <laughs> to touch and feel vagina. God, vaginas are hot. Wow. All right. So do you <laughs> want to explain to them exactly what that means? So that is basically a mnemonic that is going to... And I'm sure people who are are in school currently know the know mnemonic that's similar to that. That's the name of the cranial nerves as, as far as like the first letter of them. So you have the olfactory, the optic, the ocular motor, the trochlear, trigeminal, abductions, facial, vestibular, bucular, glossopharynx, vagus, accessory, and hypoglossal are the names of the cranial nerves. And then we're going to kind of break down the functions of them. We kind of got them, like, like Tom said, we kind of got them grouped in a way that makes sense, I think, kind of by their function and as far as like the part of the face that they involve. So I guess we'll just jump right into it, bud. So cranial nerve one is your olfactory and that's your sniffer. <laughs> the sniffer. The sniffer. Again, I mean, that's basically your sense of smell and it transmits that sensory information to your brain regarding smells that you encounter. You inhale molecules. They dissolve in the moist lining at the roof of your nasal cavity and that stimulates receptors that generate nerve impulses that move to the olfactory bulb. And that contains a specialized group of the nerve cells. And yeah, once it gets to the olfactory bulb, the nerves pass it to the olfactory tract, which is located in the front lobe of your brain. And that's where your nerves kind of go, hey, brain, you need to remember the smell and decide if you like it or not. And that's kind of how the uh, old sniffer nerve starts to work. I like it. I mean... The sniffer nerve. It just it just makes sense. And honestly, for clinicians and on the clinic side of this, this isn't one that we test in the clinic a whole lot. Like I don't I don't think I've ever tested someone's olfactory sense outside of coursework and and studies as far as to when we had to do a full like head to toe assessment, things of that yeah. nature. This is one that I you know, I do have patients who skull fracture and had head injury and she's lost her sense of smell, so it, that's just charted as her report, not that I've ever stuck coffee under her nose and said, smell that, <laughs> you know, or anything like that. So, Though the last time I truly, and, and to be fair, I wasn't going after the olfactory nerve. Okay, so let's be clear. That wasn't the intent, but that is a side effect of being in the ER. I don't know about Ben, but uh. myself and several other people would like to tape a ammonia smelling salt to the back of our badge. So it's quickly and easily available for people that are passed out. So you could just crush it and instantly hold it under their face and you didn't have to go looking for one that will instantaneously test your olfactory nerve. <laughs> if you're out or not out, you will start to know uh, what's if it's working pretty quick. Well, see, not not where I thought you were going to go with that story, but I agree with you. I thought you were going to say that you wish that we had a way to shut our olfactory nerve off, particularly when you have like gangrene or GI bleeds or C diff in the uh, or just a patient that clearly has not bathed in an extended hygiene. period of time. So here's a little tip to everybody out there that wants to trick their olfactory nerve. And this is something that actually just happened to me again not too long ago is essential oils tend to be everywhere. A little bit of peppermint oil, put it under your nose, put on your mask. Life is great. What you need to remember, though, is eventually you're going to have to pee. And so you're going to want to thoroughly wash said finger before you touch your genitals, because otherwise 
peppermint oil will light up your genitals. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, Vicks Vapor Rub does the same thing. Um, Very much, yeah. It's basically just the mentholatum in it and overwhelms your olfactory sense so that you don't smell other things. Tom, let's see. Nerve let's talk about our first, yeah, our big group. Your eyeballs. I mean, they're kind of important. <laughs> <laughs> I like them sometimes. Yeah. So this is where you have, like Tom said, kind of a group of nerves. So two is your optic nerve. That's going to be your sensory nerve that actually involves the vision. That's going to be the light hit, uh, enters your eye, you know, in your retina, the rods of the cones, and transmits the information back through the optic nerve. So the nerve, that's the actual sensory aspect to it. Then you have three, four, and six. And I, why they didn't make it like three, four, and five just to make it easier, I don't know. I mean, they didn't ask us uh, whenever we, uh, whenever they <laughs> numbered these. But three, four, and six are actually going to be the more the motor function of the eye. Uh, so three is the ocular motor nerve. Makes sense. Ocular motor. See, it makes sense. Uh, that also does help with pupil response. The trochlear nerve controls your superior oblique muscles in your eye. So that's basically going to be your downward, outward, and inward movements. And then the sixth nerve is the abductions nerve, and it controls movement associated with the lateral rectus muscles. Uh, so it involves outward eye movement. Uh, so you'd basically use it to look to the side. Is that the same inf- similar information to what you had? Correct. And I just want to dig into two and three just a tad more. So sure. just like he spoke before, the two just carries the information from the vision part. Okay. So of course your eyes made up of rods and cones, and I'm not going to go into too much about this because this isn't an eye episode, but just in doing some research, I found some just interesting things that perhaps I just didn't remember from school because I don't deal a lot with rods and cones. So the rods are the large cells or the larger amount of cells, and they deal more with black, white, and actually can have somewhat of night vision, depending on how good your acuity is, they just pick up the most amount of light. So they're very sensitive to light, and that's what helps them see in dark environments. The cones are smaller in number, and they're not as sensitive, but those are the ones that really deal with color. So the variations and all the different shades, that's where all they kind of mix together. That's why rods and cones are important. And all the information goes from your second, your optic nerve, up to your brain to give you vision. Now, the third, the oculomotor one, is something that actually most people do test actually fairly regularly because it's part of the pupil response. So if you ever test, you know, light sensitivity or or something like that, you're actually testing their third oculomotor nerve. So most of us, either on a daily basis or close to daily basis, actually do use the second and third nerves pretty frequently. Yeah, and... You know, with the second one, of course, that's going to be like you said, the visual acuity and the actual vision itself. I would stress because I was that bad ER nurse that never did this, that if you have a patient who comes in with any type of eye complaint, make sure you get a visual acuity. Because I'll be damned if every time that I would I would room a patient, the dog would say, hey, what's the, you know, what's the visual acuity? And I'd be like, um... I, I don't forgot. know. Yeah. yeah, I didn't do that. I'll be right back. Let me go. Let they, me go get that. They said it was an eye complaint. I counted two eyes. That's what you get, Doc. And then you just move on with your day. You're saying that's not the right answer, Ben? Apparently, that's not the right answer. No, you actually oh. have to do the visual acuity. Uh, you know, so 
they do have little cards for, that you can do like the handheld where they kind of hold it about 14 inches away from their face. Or you can do the actual, like we do in our clinic where we have them stand 20 feet away from the eye chart and they read the eye chart to do that for like DOTs, sports physicals, well person preventative type exams. Well, and honestly, not just with vision, but this is a good minor teaching point for people that are new to this, or even if you have been doing this for a while, maybe you're not thinking about it. It's always really important to get a scale on whatever you're doing. So if it's vision or they're complaining of eye complaints, get a visual acuity. If they're complaining of pain, you know, what is that from zero to 10? Is it sharp? Is it dull? You know, if they're complaining of a orthopedic injury, is there redness, bruising, swelling, gross deformity? it's just a good teaching or learning point to just remember anytime you have a complaint, if there is a scale, it's probably going to behoove you to use it and chart that somewhere. Makes sense. So, and I don't know how you do it, but like for my, my DOTs, cause obviously vision is important and we're checking peripheral vision as well as the way that they are able to move their eyeballs. I have a pretty simple method that tests all like three, four and six pretty quickly. I go, Start with, I'm telling them just to kind of follow my finger with your eyes. They go back and forth, and then I go up and make like an X. And so that basically tests every single muscles of the eyes. So that, that hits three, four, and six really well. Well, I don't do DOTs currently. I'm not certified to do them, though we did do that one killer episode on DOT exams. If you want an hour of just pure joy hit up the dot exams episode like i'm just saying like that is a barn burner so get on that but outside of that no i I don't have to do a lot of eye testing but when i do that's very similar method why don't you take our next oh our next group the five the v the trigeminal nerve by god i think i will tackle (laughs) this bad boy and i say tackle uh Well, kind of lightly. So the trigeminal nerve is the biggest of all the cranial nerves and has both sensory and motor functions. So it's really important to remember that the trigeminal nerve, though it is one nerve, actually has three separate parts that it it takes care of. So it's got an ophthalmolic, a maxillary, and a mandibular. So the ophthalmolic sends sensory information from different parts of your face, including your forehead, your upper eyelids, and all that information is then relayed through the nerve to the brain. The maxillary communicates sensory information from the middle part of your face, including your cheeks, your upper lip, and your nasal cavity, and the mandibular. It has a sensory and motor function. It sends sensory information from your ears, and your lips, and your chin. It also controls the movements of the muscles within your lower jaw. So the trigeminal is a pretty important cranial nerve, which I'm sure is why Ben wanted me to cover it. Yeah, I knew you would do it justice. So the trigeminal nerve originates from a group of different nerve cells in both the midbrain and the medulla region of your brainstem. And all these kind of form together to form what we know as the trigeminal nerve. It's extremely important and can cause a lot of havoc if you get any damage to it. So again, this isn't one that we usually specifically make a lot of tests, but at the same time, this is also one of the nerves if there is damage to it, you can kind of tell pretty quick. Like if they have difficulty with moving their jaw or communicating certain tastes or senses of smell, all of a sudden you're like, hey, wait a second. Yeah, we need to do some further work here to test into it. Yeah, and if you are going to test it, what you can actually do as far as the sensation portion of it, you're going to touch the right side of the forehead and then the left side. 
see if they can feel that. Then you're going to repeat that on the cheek and then on the chin to make sure that they are able to kind of feel that sensation of you physically touching them. Um, you can use a pin if you need to, but I mean, generally just the tactile stimulation of your finger will be fine. The other part of cranial nerve five that you can test that we don't normally test is the corneal reflex. It is useful in uncooperative patients or when the rest of the examination suggests that there may be a problem with the facial sensation or strain. It is basically tested by having the patient look to the far left and then you touch the patient's right cornea with a fine wisp of cotton. It basically is a reflexive blank that occurs in each eye. It's the way to test that corneal reflex if you needed to. Well, again, I don't normally go randomly touching people's faces. Or Though, <laughs> if somehow that became an issue, I guess I could just start saying, well, I was testing your trigeminal nerve. That's why I kept touching your face, weirdly. So, Speaking of face, Tom, what's your next nerve? <laughs> My next nerve is going to be, or you're talking about for the group? Yeah. We kind of grouped the trigeminal in with a 7th, ninth, and 10th. So... With that rest of that group, we're going to have the facial, the glossopharyngeal, and the vagus nerves. So, yeah, facial nerve, it's kind of both sensory and Well, self-explanatory. It's the facial nerve. Yeah. Uh, So it does help move muscles used for facial expressions. It does provide a sense of taste for most of your tongue and also helps supply glands in your head or neck area, such as the salivary glands or the tear-producing glands. This is also the one that if you have a patient who does have Bell's palsy, generally it's going to be the seventh nerve or the facial nerve that is affected. Um, I've actually seen a couple of cases of that recently and freaks them out a whole lot to have this just kind of a droop on the left side of their face like they're having a stroke, but they're 20 and healthy. So probably not a stroke, especially when everything else is normal. Probably not a stroke, but it- as I had to do some education with some staff in my own office before, if somebody calls in and says, hey, I think I have Bell's palsy, you don't just automatically assume Bell's palsy. You actually have to take the safety measures and treat it as a stroke until otherwise ruled out. So just a little safety factor if you're dealing with that. Don't just automatically assume it's Bell's palsy. It's much better for both you and the patient to assume it's much worse and then go over Bell's palsy. So just a little thing out there. I don't want somebody to listen to this episode and then be like, oh, they got facial droop. I bet it's some uh, that seventh uh, cranial nerve. It's just some Bell's palsy. Just a little Bell's palsy. You'll be fine. Yeah. No, get that checked out first. Let's do that. Okay. So the next one is going to be the glossopharyngeal nerve. And I really wanted to talk about this one just because I like saying glossopharyngeal. I don't know. I don't. That's why know. I gave it to you. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. This also does both motor and sensory. It does taste in the back of your tongue. It also has sensory from your sinuses, the back of your throat, parts of your inner, parts of your inner ear. If I could speak correctly, it does also stimulate voluntary movement in the back of your throat. And also, this is extremely important for anybody that's watched The Water Boy. It. <laughs> originates in a part of your brainstem called the medulla oblongata. What? Thank you. Ben, I mean, honestly, after the day I've had, you just made my entire day by letting me talk about both saying glossopharyngeal and then medulla oblongata. I'm glad You're wrong, Colonel it. Sanders. <laughs> 
Okay, so to te- if you do need to test cranial nerve seven, uh, which is going to be that facial nerve, you can have them close their eyes tightly. You can have them look up, wrinkle their forehead, smile. Basically, again, this is going to be one that's grossly obvious if there's an abnormality in cranial nerve seven. As far as nine, uh, you can have them say ah or yawn. You basically want to observe that the two sides of the palate move fully and symmetrically. That's actually going to be 9 and 10, which you're fixing to talk about, I know. Again, you can test it with using the gag reflex, but there's not really a specific reason to do that. And then about 20% of normal individuals do not have a gag reflex. Uh, so this test is more deformative than when the responses in the palatal movement are asymmetric. So hold on a second. I, uh, <laughs> oh, never mind. We'll just, we'll just move forwards. I'm just saying. Just saying valuable information just got passed along. So let's talk about this. The vagus nerve, the big X, the number 10, the first one in double digits. So again, vagus nerve does a lot of different things. Okay. So this one's going to take a second to talk about, but it's all important. Well, they're all important, but let's face it. This one's a little more important than some of the others. Okay. So this helps with communication of sensation from your ear canals and parts of your throat very important sensory information from your chest and your trunk such as your heart and intestines those are you know mild yeah mildly important for you to, to have sensation there um it also does help you with control of the muscles in your throat and again even the ones that you aren't always voluntarily you know moving trunk abdomen including uh, peristalsis and stimulating your organs to make the digestive tract move pretty important here's the weird part and i i was just racking my brain because we talked about taste for so long was providing a sense of taste near the root of your tongue. And in my head, I kept going, how damn far back are people tasting things that we need a nerve for the root of our tongue all the way back to that gag reflex for 80% of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just kept thinking in my head, I was like, I'm okay with just tasting food on the top part. If I'm swallowing it, I don't really need to taste it anymore. I don't know what's going on. So maybe you do. So Tom Vegas nerve, that sounds like something that we might uh, see other places. It does. It also sounds like something that if you bear down hard enough, can cause some problems. Maybe you can stimulate that. I don't know. Maybe, perhaps you could lose consciousness <laughs> if you do that. Or you could potentially change an abnormal heart rhythm. I don't know. Yes, uh, there's a bunch of different things. That's why I was saying before, Ben, all the cranial nerves are important, but let's face it. X going to give it to you. That's why. very important. See, you didn't think I was going to do that, I did, did you? I did not. That was great. <laughs> that was awesome. I, if we could, you know... It, Come on, man. You've got to drop that in there. Oh, you got to put that music in the background when I say that right there. I'll do what I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do what you can. I don't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> X and the, the vagus nerve. So, yes, you can uh, bagel down, as they call it. And that's if you bear down hard enough, you can actually drop your blood pressure. You can pass out, like Tom said. The other thing that you can do, and we've tried to do this in the clinic with a patient, if they are an SVT or supraventricular tachycardia, you can cause them to potentially vagal to the point that they can flip out of SVT back into a normal sinus rhythm. 
Sometimes. Sometimes, and I will tell you right now, there are lots of other things I would try first before you throw a bag of ice on someone's face that's an SVT. I'm not saying don't do it. If the doc says, hey, let's get some adenosine out, I don't think I would stop him saying, hold on, I heard this on a podcast. I'm going to get a glove and put some ice in it and just smack him in the face with it. Well, perhaps you're in a rural clinic and you're not in an emergency room and you don't have adenosine just laying around and your patient is a less than willing to go to the emergency room, then perhaps you're going to try some vagal maneuvers in an attempt to uh, convert his or her uh, heart back into a normal sinus rhythm, albeit sometimes unsuccessfully. I know that seemed oddly specific. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> yes, that is oddly specific for some reason. So the uh, next nerve we're going to talk about, Tom, is your earballs. What? Your earballs. Huh? Your earballs. <laughs> I didn't hear you. Uh, perhaps you need your hearing tested. Uh, uh, if only you, somebody knew how to check that. I, if only. So this is going to be cranial nerve eight. And I believe, like, and maybe I'm dating myself as far as oldness, but... Like, I thought this used to be called, like, the auditory nerve, but I could be wrong on that. So, and again, we talked about this just before we recorded this episode, and I could have swore that I think you are partially correct. Like, I think I've read it in certain places, and what it's doing is I always saw it as vestibulocochlear, but then, like, in parentheses to the side for, like, hey, guys from 1890, that's also the auditory nerve, like, that kind of reference. And maybe and I think. Was. And I think that's what I've seen. I can't tell you 100%, but after you said that, I was like, I think I have seen where it's been referred to as, or maybe also known as. Nerve 8 is going to be hearing and balance. So there's two parts to it, the vestibular portion, which is basically a special cells that, uh, that can track both linear and rotational movements of your head. This information is transmitted to the vestibular nerve and is used to adjust your balance and equilibrium. So when you move your head all around, your brain is able to figure out where you are in space, so to speak. Uh, the cochlear portion is detects vibrations from sound based off of the sound loudness and pitch that generates nerve impulses that are transmitted to the cochlear nerve. So, you know, it's your earballs. Seems somewhat important. So how are you going to test your earballs? Well, with a hearing test. Um, <laughs> and there are a couple of different ways you can do this. You can cover your your mouth or even how we're wearing masks, so that's a whole lot easier to do. Step away from the patient's ear slightly and whisper a number or something and ask, ask them to repeat that. Uh, the other way that you can test it is the Weber and Rennie test, and that's going to help for distinguishing conductive hearing loss from central neural deafness and that's where you take the tuning fork and place it either on their forehead or on the top of their head and it will radiate one side it either will radiate both sides or will favor one side and then the rainy test is where you hit the tuning fork place it on the bone right behind their ear count the number of seconds for the bone conduction then you move it out and then you count the seconds to the air, condu or air conduction, and it should be a two-to-one ratio air to bone conduction on both sides. If not, then there's a potential issues for hearing loss there. So let me be very clear. Earballs. <laughs> I think the uh, Renee Weber test 
is got first of all if i'm saying it wrong i don't care because it goes back to this ben i remember being tortured in nurse practitioner school about that particular test and exam at which point i got into a very heated discussion about i have no idea who the hell is gonna do that test and i can't say that i've ever done it in practice so i have while of course you have i'm just saying i have i'm just it's one of those things i i think it's great to know and again it's kind of like what you said it's one of those if i don't have any other way to test or do it then i have the ability to make it happen but i don't live in 1914 so i have other things that i could do and so Again, I think the knowledge and why those tests work and how they work is very important. But let's face the facts. The application is pretty rare. So I just like if I have a patient come in with hearing loss, I like to be able to charge that appropriately whenever I refer them to the ENT. So they can at least say, oh, look, this family practice provider (laughs) did some testing. Or maybe that ENT looked at it as like, what a damn nerd. Like, who the hell does this shit? And that's probably more accurately whoa, whoa, whoa. what they're saying. If there are people out there who do the Weber any test, email us and let us know just to prove Tom wrong. I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Go ahead and email us and I'll call you a nerd all day long. Because every ENT I know is like, no, send them to audiology and get an audiogram and then send them to me. I'm like, cool. And then I just do that. So then I don't have to do that test. While I may not live in 1914, I do live in rural Kansas. And you don't always just have an audiogram just, you know, hanging out in the back room. So move. There you go. Second of all, if I asked for someone to get me a 105 hertz frequency tuning fork, because I don't remember what the hertz on that is, my staff would literally try and murder I have one in my office. I have one in my office. I can, I will show you, I will send you a picture tomorrow. It is sitting in Do you see how upset you are about 105 hertz tuning fork? (laughs) I do know one nurse, actually it's a mutual friend that we know that uh, the tuning fork will induce a migraine in her, which, so we had to hide that in the ER for a while. I kind of want to do it now. Just to be like, I kind of wanted to too, but I never did. (laughs) But yeah, like it would like instant just diaphoresis and it would throw into a migraine like almost like did you have to touch her with it or just hearing it the sound wow yeah it was impressive and i don't know this for a hundred percent fact so i'm going to throw it out there for a fun fact for the show but another thing i was told that you could do with the tuning fork is if you think there's a fracture like a hairline and you're not able to locate it ting and then put that point on the bone that you think there's a fracture and the vibration should cause more intense pain and you could possibly tell if there's a fracture oh so you want to induce pain in your patients i don't want to but we're talking about 1914 medicine here that's what they would do back then that's just like if you got shot they just pour some sugar in the hole like i hope he lives you know, okay how about you uh cover the last two nerves there dick <laughs> well since since i don't have a time machine to go back to kansas and practice so the <laughs> sorry The 11th nerve has got one of the, if not the most boring name, the accessory nerve. Like, literally, that's all they could come up with. I'm wondering if they thought they were at the end of them. Like, okay, well, you know, we'll just call this one the accessory nerve. 
<laughs> and then they were like, damn it. Yeah, they're like, there can only be one nerve left, right? <laughs> and it's just going to handle everything else. Let's just name it the accessory nerve. Incorrect, sir. So the accessory nerve is a motor nerve. And the biggest thing that it's going to do that we need to be aware about is that it works with the muscles for rotation and flexion of your neck and shoulders. Like, that's the most important thing at least I think for the accessory nerve, it's uh, divided into two main sections, both your spinal and your cranial sections. And again, guess where the cranial part originates. It's almost like you did this on purpose. It's almost like you did this. The old medulla oblongata. That's where that, that's where that old accessory nerve originates. So that's always very important. And there's a lot of people that they're going to remember nothing about accessory nerve other than that it originates medulla. in the medulla oblongata. Oh yes. And then the last one, the old big 12, the hypoglossal nerve. It's the 12th cranial nerve, and it's responsible for the movement of the muscles in your tongue. So... I always thought there was a really cool way to test this one, or this is one of the ones I like to make people test because they look at you really funny while you're having them move their tongue around inside their mouth. But then you're like, no, I did that on purpose. It's to test your 12th cranial nerve. And then you sound like a stud. So, And where does that one originate, Tom? <clears throat> your mother's wrong, water boy. <laughs> it originates in the medulla oblongata. Well, you didn't think that was going to be so um, so important before this episode. Out there are people listening, but See? medulla oblongata, it's not just for fried chicken, okay? It's got a lot of importance. So to test that 11th cranial nerve, you can uh, have them turn their head all the way to the left. You're going to place your hand on their chin, and you're going to resist uh, the motion as they try to turn their head back. Also, test shoulder elevation by placing your hands on their shoulders and asking them to shrug their shoulders against the resistance as far as cranial nerve number 12 the tongue movement as tom said you have them protrude the tongue out move it rapidly side to side they can push your uh, tongue against the left cheek right cheek and that basically tests that 12th big 12 cranial nerve anything you want to add to cranial nerves tom oh 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 <laughs> to touch and feel vagina God, vaginas are hot. I can't comment in any way that's not going to end badly. So here's what I'm going to say is the cranial nerves. First of all, it is one of those things that we often overlook or I feel like is often overlooked. But there's a lot of times where I make sure to chart that cranial nerves are grossly intact because I test them based on patient complaints. It's one of those things that I think if you don't make the focused attention to figure out what the problem is or the test and or charting on them that it can easily slip by. And after a while, you're like, uh, I don't really pay attention to it. But there is a big and important reason that we test these nerves. So if you don't know a lot about the cranial nerves, I'm not saying you got to become a specialist, but it is very important for every healthcare worker and or practitioner to know their function, how to test them, and how to chart what's going on with them. I agree completely. So, Tom, I mean, that's going to pretty much wrap up our episode on cranial nerves. Uh, like I mentioned uh, as we started this portion of the show, this weekend, Tom, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to 
explore our cranial nerves a little bit. We may punish them a little bit all for the love of uh, our audience because Tom's pain is funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. By far, every episode that involves something catastrophic happening to me, like kidney stones, man, people love that shit. So this, you should be listening to this Saturday morning, hopefully. If you are, then tune in tonight and watch us have some fun. I got a test for Tom that he doesn't know about yet that we're going to try. And, well, you know, we'll see how it goes. So don't forget to check us out Saturday night or tonight when you're listening to this and watch us explore some nerves. I'll see if I can get on Tom's nerves. I bet I will. (laughs) No, no, Ben can't get on my nerves though. My office manager tomorrow is going to get a weird request for smelling salts. I'm like, yeah, I need those. I need those in the office. Why? Just if nothing else, it's going to be hilarious to prank people with. And maybe you can use one this weekend. Um, So (laughs) anyway, I don't know. I think uh, next week we're going to have some guests back on. It's been a little while since we've had guests. Uh, it's been quite a while. Yeah, yeah. We've been kind of just going it alone out here in the in the vast podcast land, and we're going to open it back up to some people. So it'll be, it, it'll be fun. I think it'll be interesting. An interesting story um, from from what I know. So on that note, wash your damn hands. Wear your damn mask. Test those cranial nerves. Have a great week. Hey, everybody. Stay safe out there. Get back to swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why I am alone. I caught some road bridge and I thought of you. And all the many times you say I should have known.